Welcome to the London First Baptist Church podcast. This is the Sunday morning service of March 3rd from Pastor Brett Cottrell. Turn to Mark chapter 8. There are times and there are events in our lives when uh, we have those moments. Some of them are sudden. They're that moment of, aha, I see it, I got it. And sometimes that moment is just a sudden, out-of-the-nowhere type of a deal. Some of, sometimes it is uh, something that we were working towards and progressing towards for some time, and all of a sudden it kind of clicks from not being quite sure to seeing it clearly. remember as a young man, the first time I went to a, a Major League Baseball game. I don't remember, it was a Texas Rangers game. I don't remember exactly what the date was. I don't remember who they were playing. I don't even remember who won or lost, even though being the Rangers of the early 80s, they probably lost. I do remember, though, what it was like for the very first time to walk out. Uh, we were in the outfield seats of old Arlington Stadium, and we walked out, and for the very first time, you see it just kind of open up before you what a Major League Baseball field looks like. Now, for me, that was like, wow. I had never seen a Major League Baseball stadium. So the very first time to walk out of a tunnel and to see the stadium and to see the field, it was just impressive. It was, I've seen something I've never seen before. It was a sudden moment. But the truth is, sometimes we have those moments that we see something we haven't seen before. It's sometimes it's sudden. Sometimes it is something that comes on us gradually. As we come to this morning, Christ is going to encounter a man who is blind. He is going to bring him to sight. He's going to do something in a way that's kind of unique and maybe hadn't been seen before, so to speak. Mark chapter 8, verse 22. They came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to Jesus and implored him to touch him. Taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village. After spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see men. I see them like trees walking around. Then again, he laid his hands on his eyes and he looked intently and was restored. And he began to see everything clearly. And he sent him home to his, or he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. Heavenly Father, as we come before your word this morning and before your spirit, May we encounter you. And may we walk away from this scripture in a few moments, having been changed because you spoke and you touched our eyes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have an encounter here, not quite like anything else that we have seen Jesus do. And as we look at this encounter this morning, we're going to ultimately look at it in two different ways. We're going to we're going to explore the event itself. We're going to explore what Jesus actually did as he talked with and, and encountered and engaged with this man. And then we're, we're going to step back and look at a greater meaning of it inside the story of Mark. But as we come to this, as we come to this encounter, the first thing that we see here in verse 22 is that as Jesus and his disciples came to this town of Bethsaida on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, that they are met there, and they have some individuals who are bringing this man, this blind man, to Jesus. And these guys are never named. They're kind of like, the, if you remember back earlier in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is just beginning his, his ministry in the city of Capernaum. 
And there are these uh, four friends who bring their, their lame friend to Jesus. They can't get into the house where Jesus is at, so they, they cut the hole in the roof and lowered him down in front of Jesus. That's, all we know is that there are four friends. Well, it's kind of the same here. All we know is that there are some friends of this man who is blind who bring him to Jesus. Now, what do we know about these, these friends? Very little. We, know very much, we, know, we don't know much at all. All we know is they knew their friend had a need, and they knew Jesus could meet it. Because they had told you that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. Probably not. Could they have told you that Christ was coming to die on a cross to save their sins? Probably not. Could they have given you a, a deep theological discussion of understanding who Jesus really is and the big scheme of things and the plan of God? Not likely. What they knew was this. Their friend was blind and Jesus could help. That's probably all they knew. And so they bring their friend to Jesus and they beg him. They give the word implore, they have the word beg. They pleaded. They said, Would you, with all their heart, they brought their friend to Christ and said, Please, please, would you help? You know, those that word's a I think it's a it's a powerful word there to implore, to to plead. Again, there's nothing in the scripture here that talks about these men being men of great knowledge or great wealth. What they did was they brought a friend before Christ and they begged him to help. Now, this hopefully is not really all that um, new to us. For those of us this morning who are believers, I'm hoping that there have been people we have brought to Christ begging him to touch them. Now, you and I this morning don't have the ability to take someone who is literally physically blind and take them literally physically before Christ and ask Him to touch them. We can't do that this morning because Jesus Christ isn't physically here today the way He was in Mark chapter 8. But what we can do is bring people before our God and implore Him to touch them through prayer. And by the way, that is no less effective or no less important or no less significant than it was to bring someone physically before Jesus then. You know what? Even today, we can be the friends of Mark chapter 8. And there are people that God has placed in our lives whom I hope that we have the heart to take before our Master, to take before our Lord, and say, Lord, you know my friend. Give them a name. You know their name. Would you please, would you beg before the Lord, would you implore, would you plead before your God? Lord, I have this friend. Would you touch them? Now, maybe it's a physical healing that we're praying for, but we know enough to know this morning that the greatest need anyone has is for salvation. And I have no doubt that almost every single one of us in this room have people that we know who do not know Christ. I wonder when was the last time that we, as disciples of Christ, as friends of those in this world, have brought our friends before our Master and said, Lord, please, please, Touch. Please heal. My first question for you this morning is simply this Who are you bringing before Christ? 
I'm not talking about simply who, who you've brought to church, though that might be a question. I'm not even asking to whom you've had a conversation about the gospel or gave a true life card to or something along those lines. I'm talking about who is the person that you have gone before our God and begged Him to save that person. Who has been that person that you have been bringing before our Master? These friends brought and pleaded for Christ to, be, to become involved. Jesus, in response to them, takes the blind man by the hand and brings them out of the village. So here, Bethsaida was not a, a large village. Uh, it's, it's a small fishing village on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee. These, these, these friends bring their friend to Jesus. Now, I understand he's blind, so they are leading him by the hand. They get him to Jesus, and they say, Would you please help him? Would you please heal him? Would you please put your hands upon him? Jesus' response is, is to take the guy by the hand, and the first thing he does is he leads him out of town. Again, not a big town, but still, nonetheless, there's a couple thousand perhaps people there, and Jesus takes them, and he says, follow me. So I, I've got that picture in my mind, you know, of someone who can't see, and so I would imagine Jesus has their hand in his hand. He leads them kind of, you, you, see, you see people do this, and he takes them, and, and Jesus leaves everyone else behind. He, he, he's, y'all stay back there. Me and him are coming this way. And so Jesus takes this guy, by the hand, and he leaves, leads him out of town. Now, I don't know what the guy's thinking. I don't know how much the guy himself knows about Christ. I would imagine he's heard of him, and I imagine he knows why his friends are taking him to Jesus. I don't know what his expectations were. My guess is he probably didn't expect this. He thought maybe Jesus would do something, maybe even right then and there, but he probably doesn't expect that Jesus, for the first thing, is going to say, you and I, we're getting out of town here. We're, we're, going to leave. we're going to leave everyone else behind. It's going to be just you and just me, the two of us. So he leads him out of town. You know, this man, not only did his friends have to trust Jesus, even though they didn't know all about him, not only do they have to trust Jesus enough to bring their friend to him, this blind man has to have enough faith and trust to follow someone he doesn't know. We were talking a little bit about this in our Sunday school class this morning. Sometimes it's hard to trust people, isn't it? Sometimes it's hard to trust the people you know. It's, sometimes it can be very difficult to trust people you don't know. He doesn't really know Jesus, and yet he follows. He has his hand up on Christ. He follows him out of town by the hand. Just, just think about this. The creator of the universe, the one that the Word of God says holds it all together by the power of of His Word. Taking a solitary individual by the hand. The Creator of the universe taking Him by His hand and gently, quietly, patiently leading Him. That's a pretty cool picture, isn't it? You know, sometimes our greatest act of faith is not some big dramatic knocking down the walls of a Jericho. Sometimes our greatest act of faith is to simply put our hands on in the hands of Christ and let Him just gently lead us somewhere, and we don't know where. This blind man didn't know where they were going. He didn't know the path they were on. He didn't know where Jesus was taking him. All he knew was that he was in Jesus' arm. Jesus is going that way, so that means he's going the same way. That's all he knows. 
This blind man is being led by Christ to, to a place he doesn't know. You know, it's often when we are in the dark, so to speak, with our hands in the hands of Christ, and he is leading us to somewhere. We don't know where we're going. We don't know how we're going to get there. We don't know what's involved. We have questions we don't understand, and yet sometimes the greatest act of faith is to simply follow with our hands in his as he leads us. We don't have answers. We don't have solutions. We don't have all the the information that we want. All we have is our hand in his. Now, I don't know about you, but I like data. I like information. I want to know the details. I, I want to know what's coming up. I want to know what's around the corner. I'd like, I, I want to, I, I'm one of those guys that, you know, I, I only trust GPS so far. I study the map. I memorize the map. I want to know where the road leads before I get on it. That, that's kind of who I am. And so it can be difficult for me in my own life with Christ to trust Him sometimes and say, it doesn't matter where we're going or how we're getting this, get there. I'm just putting my hand in yours and you, you take me however, whenever, wherever. That's, that's not the easiest thing for someone like me to do. And yet, I think that's sometimes really mostly what God wants us to do, is to simply put our hands in His and trust Him wherever He leads us. Even if that means I don't know where I'm going or how I'm going to get there, or even when I'm going to get there. Sometimes God takes us through very difficult circumstances. Sometimes God takes us through situations where we don't know what's happening around us, and we don't know when it's going to stop. And all we really have to go by is a hand. This man follows Jesus outside town. Jesus takes him out there. He trusts this man, trusts Jesus. And then Jesus does something very unusual. We saw this a couple weeks ago when Jesus did something somewhat similar in healing a man who was, uh, who was deaf. Jesus spits. <laughs> now, I, you just got to begin to wonder. This guy doesn't know what's going on. He's... He's being led away from his friends. He doesn't see anything, but he can hear, and he realizes his friends now are fading into the background, and he knows it's just him and Jesus. And the first thing Jesus does is spit at him. Let's face it, that wasn't probably what the guy was expecting. It wouldn't have been what I expected. You know, sometimes when we do follow in faith, sometimes God does stuff that we weren't really expecting. I don't think this guy was expecting Jesus to spit in his face. Spit in his eyes, and yet he did. You know, have you ever asked? You ever asked God, really, Jesus? You, you had to do that to me, Jesus. You had to take me there. I imagine this guy going, "Really? This is how you're going to heal me? Spit at me?" And sometimes God does some things that are a little bit uh, unorthodox. But this man doesn't say a thing. He just lets it be. He is trusting completely. So this man trusts him, he trusts Jesus to lead him by the hand out of, out of town, and he does the same thing when Jesus spits on his eyes. I wonder, are we okay with God doing things in our lives until it's weird? Are we okay, God, you do this, you do this, but, it, but when it gets a little odd, when it gets a little strange, when it gets a little difficult, when I don't understand, well, then I'm out. I'm only going to follow God as long as it makes sense to me. Are we okay with God doing things and taking us to places and working in our lives in ways that don't make sense to us? Well, God, I don't know why you would do that. God, why would you allow this to happen in my life? What did I do to deserve this kind of treatment? 
God, why would you allow this to happen to me? What did I do to deserve that? I didn't do that. I didn't. Why would you let somebody spit in my eyes? What did I do to deserve that? And yet sometimes, oftentimes, if you look through Scriptures, God is using some very <laughs> weird things to do His work. Are we okay with God doing things in our life, even if it's a little bit out of the ordinary? Or if it's something we would rather just not, quite frankly, go through? There's some things we just don't want God to do in our lives, don't we? If we're honest. Because we know it's hard. This man gets led out. He gets his eyes spit into. I was thinking this week about this, and I remember the story in the Old Testament of the gentleman by the name of Naaman. You may remember the story of Naaman. Naaman was an Aramean general, an enemy of Israel. He'd heard, but but Naaman was also a man who had leprosy. He had heard through his servant girl, a slave he had taken from captive uh, because of of wars with with Israel. He had taken as a slave this, this young girl who told his wife, well, we have a prophet, we have someone in Israel who serves the one true God who can heal him. So Naaman travels to Israel, encounters Elisha, and Elisha says, oh yeah, God can do this. Here's what you're going to need to do. See the Jordan River over there? Go take a bath seven times in the Jordan River. Naaman looks at that river and goes, um, yeah, no. I don't know what the Jordan River looked like back then, but apparently it was not very impressive to Naaman. And Naaman said, listen, we got some impressively clean big rivers back there at home. How about if I go wash off one of those? This little thing over here, y'all, called the Jordan River, this is nasty. And Elisha goes, no, this is what God has said. Naaman says, I'm not having any of that. And so he decides to head on, head on home until he's reminded, you know what? You know what's worse than Dick taking a, a bath in the Jordan River? Dying by leprosy. So Naaman goes back, obeys God, jumps in the Jordan River, seven times is healed. God often does things that we don't like. He takes us through things that we don't like so that he can do a mighty work in our lives. Jesus takes this man out, spits in his eyes. And then it's, it's kind of an odd little thing here. There are some unique, there are some, in this miracle, there are some things that are similar. You may remember to when Jesus healed the deaf, uh, the deaf guy, the mute guy, a couple chapters ago. He did some interesting things. He, he did spit. He brought that individual kind of out of a crowd as well. But a couple things Jesus does here that are different than anywhere else in all of the Gospels. Jesus does this stuff initially, and then he asks a question. How are you seeing now? And the guy is kind of sort of partially healed. He can see, but he can't see clearly. He can only sort of see. It's the only time in the Scriptures that this happens. It's a technique that God does not do anywhere else in Scripture. Kind of a, a, a healing in step one and step two. Every other time Jesus does anything, it's boom, it's, it's ready to go. It's, it's, it's a one time done. Jesus isn't asking questions, he just does it. And someone's healed. This time, he asks some questions and he only partially heals the guy. What's going on? 
Charles Spurgeon says this about the technique that Christ uses here and why it's different. He says this, Had our Lord cast all of his miracles in one mold, men would have attached undue importance to the manner by which he worked and would have superstitiously thought more of that than of the divine power by which the miracles was accomplished. In other words, this, if Jesus had done the exact same thing, if he almost did use a formula, I'll do all my healings the same way. If he had done that, then the temptation would have been people would have trusted the formula and not Christ himself. So the reality was, Christ, even in things that are somewhat similar, he always does something just a little bit differently because he doesn't want us to trust the formula. He doesn't want us to trust just certain words. If I just pray this way, if I pray that way, then God will give me what I want, right? No. <laughs> we don't trust a formula. We don't trust a routine. We don't trust a ritual. We trust him. So Christ does this odd stuff. He does this a little differently. He, he does a, a technique that's a little differently. And, and then, of course, he heals the guy. Now, what is the point of all this? Well, one part of it is this. If we were to go back to the previous chapter or so, we would find that, if we saw this last week, that Jesus, in his conversation with the first, the Pharisees, and then ultimately in his conversation with the disciples, he looked at the disciples and said, Do you not have ears to hear? And do you not have eyes to see? Because the disciples, despite the fact they've been around Jesus now for at least two years, or a little longer than that, had failed to understand who Jesus really was. They knew he was powerful. They knew he could do miracles. They had seen him raise people from the dead. They had seen him walk on water. They knew he could do a great many things they had never seen anybody else do. They had, if you will, partial understanding. But they didn't know who he really was. To the point where Jesus had just told them, we saw this last week, just before this encounter, he said, do you not see and do you not hear, do you not understand? Now, what was the miracle that he had done at the end of the last chapter? He had healed a deaf man. Do you not hear? And what does he do? Roger tells him, do you not see? He heals a blind man. By the way, these, these two miracles are not there by accident. We, these, these are proof that as Mark has put together his gospel, he's doing so. Everything's in its place for a purpose. This is not some random newspaper account of something Jesus did. This gospel is put together very systematically, very organized to lead us to a conclusion about who Christ is. And so we have these two miracles sandwiched between Jesus asking, do you not see? Do you not understand? Do you not hear? And so Jesus heals this man. And this, and this stage is thing, this, he sort of sees people kind of look like trees walking around. In other words, it's really blurry. <laughs> if you ever had you have cataracts, or you ever had your sight impaired. I, I could sort of see, like looking through a fogged up window, I could see a shape, but I can't really make it out. That's who the disciples were in Mark chapter 8. They had sort of a picture of who Jesus was. They could sort of make him out, but they couldn't really figure out the details. They didn't have a clear picture of who he was just yet. And so this miracle is illustrating for the disciples right there the pattern of God's work in their lives. They had a fuzzy image, but they didn't have a clear picture just yet. 
So part of what's going on, like what Jesus did with the Syrophoenician woman a few weeks ago, part of the method of what Jesus is doing is as an illustration and a teaching moment for his disciples. He's telling them, this is who you are, this is who I am and what I am about to do. The disciples, like many of the other folks in their world, even the Pharisees, had been blind to what God was doing through this one that we call Jesus Christ. They caught glimpses, they caught pictures, they watched him drive out demons, they saw him walk on water, they saw him do all these things. They knew that God had sent him. But what they didn't see yet was that he was actually God himself. They did not know that just yet. You know, it may well be that even this morning, there were some of you sitting in these chairs in this comfortable room, comfortable place, and maybe you, you know that God's real, you believe in God. Maybe you even believe in Jesus. You have this vague picture of who He is. He was a great teacher. He did all these incredible things, and we talk about believing in Him and all that type of stuff. But the truth is, what you really see of Jesus, what you really know of Jesus is just kind of fuzzy. It's just kind of partial. I, I believe in God. Past that, you don't have a lot of details, and things are a little bit unclear, mushed up. It's kind of interesting to me that the, the disciples here themselves, they are repeatedly at this point called the disciples. I mean, that's, that's their label. They're called as a group, the disciples. And yet, do the disciples have knowledge, clear knowledge of who Christ really is yet? No. <laughs> they don't. Do you know what's possible to be someone who, quote, has an interest in God or, quote, believes in God? and not really know all the details yet? To not really have a clear understanding yet? To not be where you need to be just yet? You can have been in Sunday school all your life and not have a clear picture of Jesus, unfortunately. Because it has less to do with knowledge than it does to do with faith. This group of disciples, this healing of a blind man in stages is an illustration of Christ and of God working us and bringing us to a point that we are coming to see clearly who He really is. There are some like the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts who will have that walking out of the stadium or walking through the tunnel and see the baseball field, that aha, instantaneous moment where they see God clearly. And there will be others of us who, like the disciples of this blind man, it comes kind of in stages. Either way, the point is, God is bringing us to a, a, a clear, hopefully, understanding of who He is. He went back to that man and said, what do you see? And Jesus laid His hands on him. And it says He looked intently. His sight was restored and He began to see everything clearly my prayer for you this morning is that if you have seen Christ without the details if you have seen Christ in, in some vague way a, a generalized way maybe even from a distance but you've yet to see him clearly 
that God would bring you to a point of, clar- of, of clarity. I, I don't want to spoil next week's message just too much, but we, here, here's the point. In the next couple of verses, Jesus will take those same 12 confused, seeing Jesus fuzzy type of disciples. And in a moment of clarity that reflects what God did with that blind man, Peter will say, Oh, I see it. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Christ this morning is not simply a man with power. He is not simply one who taught a great many moral things. He's not simply a man who had the ability to to heal people and to touch people and to calm storms. He is not simply a man unlike any other man. Christ is the Son of the living God. And until we see that clearly, we haven't been fully restored.